0: In this episode of the Frontline Defenders podcast, Rights on the Line, we'll hear from human rights defenders in Morocco, Sri Lanka, South Sudan and Brazil talk about the unique online threats to their work and when the significance of digital protection can mean the difference between life and death. Through the global pandemic, we are all making adaptations to new modes of working. Many of us now work remotely in different physical and emotional environments. But for those human rights defenders whose work always posed threats to their well-being and safety, the crisis has no doubt been abused to further repress their activities. Defending digital safety has never been more urgent. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, governments around the world have introduced and implemented sweeping restrictions on freedom of movement and freedom of assembly. Defenders cannot access their offices to communicate with one another from safer locations. Risks to the work of HRDs, such as hackings, reduced or costly online access, and unprotected communications platforms make defenders more vulnerable than ever when they depend on these tools. And as people under lockdown are more focused than ever on their computers and phones as a sole means to communicate, online communities thrive. Hate campaigns spread like wildfire. Morocco, April 2020. Sofia Talouni, an Instagram personality also known as Naoful Moussa, tells his 600,000 followers to set up fake accounts on popular dating apps to geolocate and identify gay family members. Taluni, a gay Moroccan now living in Turkey, later explained it was an attempt to unmask the hypocrisy of Moroccan men who had attacked him with homophobic comments but who were repressed gay men themselves. The consequences of his call to out the gay community rapidly swept across the country. Rabbanouami is the coordinator of Equality Morocco, working on the ground and with other organizations to counter discrimination based on gender and sexuality. You can see that the person is absolutely unpredictable and
1: absolutely unaware of how dangerous and stupid and whatever comes his mind, he says it without even thinking whatsoever about the consequences. <inaudible>
2: So, you will go on these apps. These apps will show you the gay people who are near you 100 meters, 200 meters, even just one meter. Just near you in the living room, since everyone is home now. It could even show you your husband, your son. It could show you your neighbor from next door. It could show you your cousin, your uncle, everyone.
1: That started a big, ugly, ugly wave of outing that ended up with a lot of guys being thrown out uh, from their houses during the quarantine, being beaten up by their families. We had several cases of suicide, all of that because of one video. And... it took us week to minimize and to manage the consequences and the results of that video that person did who is is a criminal in that aspect in that which is something we need to acknowledge it was really hard and we didn't sleep for uh, for weeks and also during that time, when I reached Mohammed Masqati with his expertise and his help, and he helped really drastically his role into this movement of stopping and minimizing and controlling the outing over social media. And so far, we don't have a lot of cases uh, lately, and it's been
0: managed and contained to a really great point. Mohamed al is Digital Protection Coordinator for the Middle East and North Africa region with Frontline Defenders.
2: So we worked with the organization to get more information about type of attacks and where is exactly which platform that used that attacks. And we collect a lot of information and we collect um, posts and links and uh, related to that attacks, we try to escalate these cases to to through um, platforms, online platforms. We worked with the communities to to build a cooperation between most of the organization, trying to understand what kind of risk, to help uh, the victims that were uh, attacked online. Uh, and we we will continue supporting the organization to understand the risk and to to minimise it in in the future when um, anything's uh, happened again like this.
0: Moroccan law criminalises what it refers to as acts of sexual deviancy between members of the same sex, a term that authorities use to refer to homosexuality more generally. Article 489 of the Penal Code punishes same-sex relations with prison terms of up to three years. We're all aware
1: that Um, When it comes to being publicly homosexual or something that you identify um, with it publicly in public spaces in front of uh, law enforcement or any some kind of like an official representative, that is something illegal and this is one of the main problems that we have here in morocco not only when it comes to the lgbtq community issues and problems it's when it comes to human rights women rights when it comes to the just like the basic one-on-one communication the problem most of the time is not the law it's more of the 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 mentality and the education and the culture of the people that they are serving the law. That's the main thing that I want to talk about it. Like when it comes to the symbolic uh, image of Sofia Taloni. What Sofia Taloni did is somehow a mirror. And that's something that show you or show to all of us the real image Of years and years and years of bad education, the brutality and the deliberate political or decisions of for the last at least 40 years that created us this hybrid people in a way that they whole existence based on morality in a way that comes from the source of religion, tradition and all that. But at the same time, it longs and also thrive on exposing people, morality and ideas and and taking a lot of pleasure on that as an activist, political activist, social activist. Cultural activist. I cannot exclude myself or just focus on one cause when I know that this whole organism is a web organism that is connected, and I cannot fix or develop a certain idea or a certain concept or a certain policy. If I didn't actually change the
0: source of the problem, mainly is education. Before the Taluni incident, did you have concerns about how lockdown could pose risk to the safety of the LGBT community and to human rights defenders?
1: The lockdown and quarantine, there is a bad side when everybody is on their phone and on internet. This void of physical and professional and social activities it created a lot of mental frustration, and this mental frustration it brought on over over the internet. I can see a lot of bullying, like cyber bullying. I can see a lot of people that on the verge, but the people that they were out in the victims, they were really scared, knowing that there is a lot of accounts and groups and things like have been like deleted and each once like everybody speak about to everybody about it and that minimizes the effect the bad effect of it it was amazing and probably the first time in the history of Morocco and i'm talking about the lgbtq community here of the fact that you can see an organic mobilization that has been created that everybody gathered from all over Morocco and everybody worked, focusing on something to help.
0: In Morocco and all around the world, human rights defenders are vulnerable to their digital information being seized by authorities and used as evidence in prosecutions against them. In Sri Lanka, we see an increase in the crackdown on freedom of expression since the government of President Gotabaya Rajabaksa came into office in November 2019. We spoke with a Tamil activist based in Jaffna who wishes to remain anonymous for fear of repercussions about the importance of, and challenges to, digital security in her work.
3: The biggest threat I can think of is um, our accounts being hacked or tapped into. Even though you can take certain actions to protect the data you keep on your computer or online, when you are arrested, um, and when you are asked about your passwords, you are going to have to give the authorities your password. Um, And when you do that, the data you keep on your devices are exposed if you're not careful enough. Other than that, um, I think phone tapping is um, a quite common threat a lot of my friends have experienced here. Um, I think I'm in the clear at the moment but it is possible that I simply do not know if someone has access to me or my colleagues' um, accounts. Um, There is a thing about digital security. Um, I think you'll probably never know what's coming. Do you see this as a worsening problem? I do see this as a worsening problem after um, the change of government with the presidential election last year. This notorious government in the past was not kind towards HRDs, and in the last five years, um, a lot of activists and the civil society spoke up against the crimes committed by the individuals who are in power now. So I don't see the current government being any better um, towards HRDs. Um, The minority communities are still under heavy militarization and under constant surveillance. With the military gaining more power in the name of battling against COVID recently, uh, we are experiencing a nuanced and increased crackdown on HRDs. I think it's only going to get worse. Where I work, we take security of the people we work with very seriously. We work with war-affected communities and groups of people who are demanding justice and accountability by various means and groups of people, I cannot even name here, who are considered as threats by the government. It is really so courageous of them to work with us and share very sensitive and crucial information with us. We owe it to them to protect their identities and the information at any cost. Sometimes these people can be subjected to continuous harassment, inquiries, and surveillance for just being even seen with outsiders or NGO workers. In that context, it is absolutely vital we keep the information safe as possible. I do not believe that anything is 100% safe online, but I do believe we have to try our best and do our best. Um, And for that, we do have our own basic safety protocols in place, but working with FLD, What was helpful in a more realistic way for me is not leaving any trace online um, and different ways there are to protect um, information. It may sound quite simple, but to see it from my perspective and what is available to us, just knowing that there are options is quite big. Um, Two-step sign-in options or verifications Change your settings um, on browser in a way you are not leaving any trace of your online activities are the easy ones. Um, switching to safer communication options such as switching to ProtonMail and getting used to signal are quite hard because not just you, but all your contacts are so used to like using the common ways such as Gmail and WhatsApp. But to be honest, all of these will be quite hard if you are someone who is shifting from a carefree online lifestyle to a more security conscious lifestyle. It requires a lot of discipline, as my trainer said.
0: Can you tell us about the challenges of stressing the importance of digital security to
3: underserved communities you're working with? Let's take um, a community that has recently came out of decades long war and starting to use technology. They have seen so much struggles and threats in so many different ways. So for them, online threats, something you cannot really see or not standing right in front of you, doesn't really make a lot of sense. Or even if it does, it is the mentality is um, that it won't be bad as something you can see or touch. Most of these people I work with are um, quite old, and they're not tech savvy. um, And someone once told me, these are young people problems. um, And we young people think too much. Um, And I get that too. Culturally and contextually, it is a very hard conversation to have, um, because just having digital devices is a privilege itself and thinking about the threats and security can also be seen as privilege sometimes also there is this false understanding about activists and human rights defenders that they are superheroes and selfless and always put others first and in some cultures and particularly when you are a woman you are expected to live up to that picture and it is an extremely dangerous setup to be at because you do not want to think too much about yourself, and just by that, you could put yourself and others at risk. As a young female activist, I was often told that I'm overthinking this whenever I try to bring up issues related to security. But right now, we are working in a very different time than before where technology kind of took over everything and there are really good chances that how or what we did on our devices had some part in the threats we are facing. There is no way we can hide from this and most importantly, online threats affects all groups of people. It is not a young people problem anymore. I think the biggest obstacle to having a sustainable daily digital plan, at least for me, is not having a routine. I think this is the same for anyone who travels a lot for like field work and does not really work from an office or use several devices. And here where I work, government has an advantage, particularly right now as we are battling against COVID-19. The military of this country have been granted extraordinary powers in the name of battling against COVID, one of them being the military handling the contact tracing, which grants the military access to telecommunication services. And there is no doubt that this could be used against authorities if they need to. Even before COVID, we have received so many complaints from activists about their phones being tapped intelligence harassing HR use on phone and sometimes monitoring social media, um, Facebook in particular. But for a long time, digital security was not my biggest concern. I knew that there are threats, but I didn't really think I could be affected. I thought I was invisible and no one is going to see me. And I really cannot stress this enough. When you are from a community that is so resilient and fighting and challenging is in your blood and you are so used to getting things done then and there, digital security is going to look all strange, almost non-existent. Are there ways you believe this attitude could change? Absolutely. It is a process and it is going to take time, but it is something we can change for sure. I think the conversations about security has to be holistic, not just physical security or psychological security or digital security or financial security, but all kinds of securities together, but at the same time, making sure all of these elements are given enough weight.
0: Laws were recently introduced forbidding people from speaking about the government online or in social media. Can you tell us more about this and the consequent arrests?
3: There were certain regulations and instructions were brought in. Um, Legal professionals are still criticising the legality of these regulations, but there is no answer or clarification from the government about any of these. The regulations are still in place. For example, we were under lockdown, um, 24-hour curfew for over three weeks. Literally anyone who was seen outside was arrested, and until two weeks ago, over 40,000 people were arrested. There was a pass system for service providers if they need to go outside during the curfew. That too, if you are living in the north, you have to go through the military to get the pass. This is not the same for um, the rest of the country. But even with curfew passes, some activists who were involved in providing food provisions to people who are daily laborers and struggling to get food were arrested, threatened and harassed by the police and military. In early April, the acting police chief instructed the criminal investigation department of the police and all offices to arrest and take legal action against anyone who publishes posts on social media criticizing government officials it said quote-unquote tough legal action against those who publish false or malicious statements in the internet after this Over 10 people were arrested based on um, things they posted on Facebook. It is important to take measures during this time to control fake news. But even though these people were officially arrested for spreading false news about COVID, some of them are arrested for criticizing government officials. This raises serious concerns over freedom of expression. However. Politicians and religious figures and individuals who spread hate speech against the Muslim community blaming them for the spreading um, of coronavirus were never arrested. This just goes to say that these instructions and arrests are not about controlling fake news or about battling coronavirus. These are about silencing any criticism against the government. These are about silencing the voices early on, using the pandemic as an excuse. This is more like a warning. Now, with the military having control over everything, call me paranoid, but it makes me so worried to think about what they are capable of doing. I definitely think this is going to be a long-lasting measure, at least as long as the current regime holds power. We are already hearing about inquiries into NGOs, surveillance, and threats to certain individuals. Talking to my friends, I have very strong reasons to believe that data infringement um, is happening as well. But as I said earlier, even if it is happening on a mass scale, we wouldn't really know now.
0: For some defenders, the problem of digital security only followed the initial problem of obtaining any kind of online access in the first place. Poor connectivity, lack of access of rural communities to coverage, and expensive data plans prevent HRDs and their organizations from maintaining a consistent presence online. Hassan, also known as AJ, is creative director of the RISE Initiative for Women's Rights Advocacy,
4: or RIWA, in South Sudan. Our major area of focus is uh... Economic justice uh, for women where we advocate for the rights of women in the uh, economic sector and uh, business sector too. So we also work uh, in the area of digital security. Uh, in the area of digital security we just uh, give basic uh, knowledge or uh, literacy. We also work with small organizations like grassroots organizations. So this is one of our um, area of focus. We also do advocacy. Uh, yeah, in the advocacy um, area, we, we tackle so many things, starting from policies and, uh, and uh, challenges and abuses women face in South Sudan. We usually like, speak out um, uh, to the government, make petition, and, and so on. So basically, uh, it's a human rights-led organization. Most of the threat that we face, um, both online and offline, uh, the civic space for feminists and women human rights defenders in South South Sudan is shrinking currently, uh, where the voices of women online is being uh, blocked by other male counterparts who are also doing the same advocacy work. So they are trying to silence women who are trying to advocate using an online uh, platform. Uh, we 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 in partnership with uh, there's uh, a program called uh, Gender Talk One One and a Twitter platform. It's an online platform where we use, you know, to speak out or document or uh, basically also disseminate messages and issues that are affecting women in South Sudan but the platform recently has been attacked by uh, so many people including even other activists and government agencies so this is one of the major issues we face in South Sudan as women activists or minority activists yeah Uh, we face such violence online intimidation and so on so and this violence uh, usually come from members of the society and also state agencies who are supposed who who are required to protect us but they still uh, violate us you know online I benefited from some of their tools like online um, or digital tools yeah from uh, the frontline defenders where we shared with our members you know to learn how to protect themselves both physically and online. How does the limitation to online access in the first place impact your work? Uh, basically, we have scarcity of uh, internet in South Sudan. So internet has become one of the major uh, commodity basically for human rights defenders. So most of us nowadays use online platform to advocate, yeah for specific issues if we want to tackle or you know a right to the government we first also uh, put press release and everything like we use an online activism more nowadays in South Sudan, but still we face challenges of uh, internet issues which is uh, uh, very expensive to like ordinary people like if you don't have projects that or you don't have resources that tackles Uh, your internet presence basically it's very challenging and very expensive. Also in South Sudan there is a lack of secure hosting and infrastructure for digital sector in South Sudan. Like we don't have proper sector that is like managing internet in South Sudan. And even like our like most of the websites or our online presence are not secure. You see, we are mostly vulnerable to online attacks, yeah, as um, HRDs. There is also a big challenge because most of us lack basic information on digital security. Like most of us just nowadays buy smartphone, buy data, this normal data from, like most of us use maybe MTN or Zen, these are like two main uh, network telecommunications telecommunication company in South Sudan. So these are like two major uh, network providers to the local or the the poor consumers. So we mostly use such data to run our daily or our activism online. And then these are like not well-infrastructured uh, uh, sectors in, in South Sudan. Like they have less... Uh, protection for people who are using their uh, data to be online. So uh, this is one of the, the problem. like uh, we have uh, no secure online uh, presence. Uh, it makes me less secure and restricted to do my work. Uh, since our targeted audience and beneficiaries are the young generation, Uh, who make uh, 70% of the population of South Sudan, and they have huge, huge presence in the online uh, sector, like in the uh, media, uh, social media. So, and uh, with all this uh, uh, restriction or, uh, basically the restriction makes it harder for us to use online for activism or to use online to to challenge, to challenge something.
0: Asan was understandably limited on how much she could speak with us due to the lack of accessibility to online communication platforms she mentioned. She also explained how offline challenges, including the government not respecting freedom of expression and assembly, severely impact HRD work. Maria works as a digital protection consultant with Frontline Defenders in Brazil. In recent weeks, she's working with feminist organizations on developing digital security guides, especially for women experiencing domestic violence.
5: In the beginning of quarantine, I was giving already support to some organizations that work uh, giving uh, legal support to women that uh, are not capable to pay for lawyers and they are under situations of violence and i searched them to check how was uh, their work how was uh, the situation of their work under quarantine and uh, we were concerned about it how the women that now would be uh, in the same place of their aggressors how they could reach them those organizations because uh, many times they are under like domestic surveillance, and they won't be able to talk, to call, or even to text. I have been working with many feminist organizations in Brazil, but uh, Mapa do Colimento was an organization that approached us.
6: Hi, my name is Larissa. I've been working at Mapa do Colimento for two years now, and I'm a psychologist. So Mapa do Acolhimento is a solidarity network that matches survivors of gender-based violence with lawyers and psychologists who are willing to provide them with free services all over Brazil. In addition to that, uh, we make the effort to map all public services that provide support for women, such as police stations and multidisciplinary services. Domestic violence is a structural problem that needs to be tackled based on cultural and educational change in Brazil. Maria da Penha Law is a worldwide reference for a policy to fight domestic violence, but it is not yet fully applied here, especially in regions in the interior of the states and the north, northeast and central west of Brazil, where there is not enough structured network that offers support for women. So we need to make collective pressure for political changes to guarantee women's rights. We know that women are more exposed to domestic violence during quarantine because many of them are isolated with their aggressors and due to other risk factors like financial dependence, the absence of daily activities, the distance from their support network, the increase of control and surveillance, deprivation of coming and going and absence of, avail- of available public services or the difficulty of accessing them safely.
0: Brazil is the new epicentre of coronavirus in South America, with over 45,000 deaths. Far-right President Jair Bolsonaro has pushed to relax lockdown measures early and has exploited the crisis to emphasise his anti-women's rights agenda. To encourage Brazilians to go back to work, he said in a statement, Women are being beaten at home. Why? In a house that lacks bread, everyone fights and nobody is right. Even before the pandemic, Brazil was globally one of the most violent countries for women and has the fifth highest rate of femicide in the world. When the state does not show up, human rights defenders do the work of failed or dismantled institutions.
6: The future of women in Brazil is very worrying because the political scenario is completely unfavorable to guaranteeing women's rights, especially when talking about black, poor and indigenous women. Um, public services are being increasingly scrapped and our fight today is to ensure that we do not lose rights that we already have. The safety plan that we've developed with Maria Labi will help women create strategies for being safer at home and activate their support network in case of emergency. Besides, we offer precise information about how to avoid exposure in case of monitoring, such as protecting their social media, instant messengers, and email. And this kind of information is very difficult to find, and we've worked hard to ensure that the language was accessible and met the needs of most cases of risk.
5: So it's very important when we do some kind of material as we did that's intend to be a guide to help women that are under this situation of violence during the quarantine, that we consider that it's not just call certain number or or uh, call help or use some kind of tool. We needed to consider the situation that they are and make sure that when they are uh, reading our material that they can feel that they are not alone That's the main thing that we can embrace also the fear and uh, support this um, this help with no judgment. Tell us how you developed the guide, incorporating your experience and tailoring it for
0: women who were experiencing domestic violence.
5: When the quarantine started, many guides of home office were being made. And um, of course, uh, Frontline Defenders did a very nice guide with recommendations how to be safe at home, especially if if you are human rights defenders that are being surveilled or can be in certain kind of difficult contexts, uh, danger contexts. And uh, the situation of women and violence is most, more or less similar. No, They are in this dangerous situation. So it's good to have a reference where we can uh, overcome just the digital part that would be the communication means, but would be more like a, a security plan, how they can prepare if they need to escape or how they can be more secure at home, thinking about the tools that they have to make some kind of protection. So um, the combination of uh, this work was very useful.
0: How have you seen your work in digital security benefit human rights defenders in general and
5: women in particular? I believe we have been like translators. We need to um, adapt sometimes a a very technical language that is regarding how the whole infrastructure of internet and digital communications work and the tools that are being developed of uh, protection and safety like encryption tools uh, or tools to be more anonymous or tools to overcome censorships. This kind of uh, issues we as digital security trainers, we have been translating to human right defenders because many times are issues that belong just to technical field. And we, we know that it's very important that the human right defenders have their ability to be more autonomous and to understand better when they are using certain kind of uh, digital environments, what kind of uh, threats they are under and what they can do to mitigate some of the tra- those threats. So I think our work is important in, this, um, in these orientations. Of course, diversity is very important in the field. Uh, technical knowledge field usually they are form by majority of white men. that's because we have a whole history that um, creates these contexts no. And create more diversity, to have more women, to have more people of color, to have more LGBTQI community inside those te- technical field is very important. It's important for us to have different perspectives from the issue. It's important that we create safe space to communicate with them. It's important because we can evolve and develop the issue farther away than um, what we have right now. So I believe being a woman is something that connects me to different kind of public as well. In
0: response to the pandemic, Frontline Defenders developed the guide Physical, Emotional and Digital Protection While Using Home as Office in Times of COVID-19 Ideas and Tips for Human Rights Defenders. The guide is available to view and download on our homepage at frontlinedefenders.org. It's available in English, Arabic, French, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Turkish, Chinese and Farsi. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the Rights on the Line podcast for future episodes.